Welcome to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast, where we discuss all things human design and how it can support you and your spiritual journey. This is not a one-size-fits-all podcast. We are here to inspire awareness about how we are all different and help you answer the questions of who am I? What am I here to do? How am I here to do it? You can thrive and live the life of your dreams just by having awareness of your true self. So dive deep with us, get inspired, and start living your life on purpose. Hello, and welcome back to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast with your hosts, Dana and Shayna. Today, we have on a very special guest, Jai Dave, who is a yogi and intentionally renowned teacher of kundalini yoga and ayurveda he is the founder and principal teacher of the life force academy which is a global community for yogic teachings and practices with thousands of students in over 60 countries around the world he is also the author of numerous courses on kundalini yoga and ayurveda and he truly is incredible this conversation was so fun um he's so relatable he is a two four generator which for some reason, we knew intuitively before he even came on the show. Um, before we had the call, Dana said, I just feel like he's a 2-4 generator. And sure enough, we generated his chart. And he is. He's a vessel of love person with emotional authority. So as you're listening, just soak up that love, wisdom, vibes that he is emanating in every word and every breath that he takes. Um, He also has a lot of genius, freaky energy in his chart, and we just love it. So tune in, let us know what you think. Okay, so without further ado, let's welcome on our guest for today, Jai Dave. How are you? Thank you so much for being here. Hey, I'm great. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited too because we were talking before we started recording, but I'm a Life Force Academy member. Um, I've been practicing Kundalini Yoga. My husband and I are super into it together, and it's been such a cool, expansive part of my life lately. So I've talked about Kundalini a bit on the show, so I'm really excited to have you on. I think a lot of our listeners are really excited to learn a bit more about it. Um, And right off the top, I was wondering if you could kind of just give us a little bit of an intro of who you are and what you teach and what you share, etc. Okay. Well, my name is Jai Dave. <laughs> That's the starting point. And I, I live in Northern California. And yeah, I teach, you know, I teach meditation, Kundalini Yoga, specifically. And, you know, who I am, I'm always trying to figure that out. <laughs> that's why I do so, mm-hmm. much, so much yoga and meditation practice, because that's always an unfolding, blossoming experience, isn't it? And however, I am, um, you know, something that I got into when I was, you know, relatively young. I was in my, I was a teenager when I, I grew up in South Carolina and I, and in that 1980s South Carolina, there wasn't, much, there wasn't any yoga around or anything like that. Yeah. But, and so finding, a, just finding who I was, was difficult for me as a young person. You know, I knew who I was just like we all know who we are deep down. But then just trying to find how do we fit in to this whole thing, you know, that was a bit of a struggle for me. Now it makes sense why it was a struggle. But at that point, it didn't make sense, you know, just being a kid. And but in retrospect, I always had, you know, if I look back, though, I was seeking and I was trying to figure out, you know, some of the big things about life. Like, what is this? What am I doing here? It can't be just about all this, you know, what I'm seeing around me and material life and that, which is fine, but that all ends. So it must be something. So when I, I, I that was kind of like my first kind of, if we would say like yogi, yogi experiences was just as a kid thinking about dying, actually, not to go all heavy too quickly, because I don't think it's heavy. It actually what is what lightens us when we really turn towards and embrace the the more difficult things of life. It's actually quite liberating. It's and it's not something that's scary. So, yeah. but at that point in my life, it was scary and. And that, and I had some health problems as a teenager and all of that comes together, of course, because I was stressed and, and just 
living going living in middle America, going to a high school in South Carolina. That's you know that's rough around the edges in terms of of just trying to be a happy person and and dealing with you know the culture and everything that comes with being a teenager. It, being a teenager is hard enough. And then if you don't have the things that are naturally supporting how you, you want to naturally grow, not just how society thinks you should grow or your, or your peers or your teachers or family or whatever. I was lucky to have a very supportive, loving family, but I was a, I was a, I was a bit to deal with as a teenager, especially because I was like trying to pop out of this thing, I think, you know, figure out what is. So I, by the time I got to college, I was, um, I was really, really, yeah, I was done partying. I had done all that as a high schooler. And I took my first Kundalini yoga class. I went to, I went to go study music production at the Middle Tennessee State University. Because my main thing, I've all, my main love, I should say, has always been music. And still to this day is the case. And anybody who's taken my classes, you'll pick up on that. Yeah, it's a big part of it, music. And... So anyhow, the, I, that, but then I went to that school and this guy invited me to a yoga class and I didn't really know much about yoga. All I knew it was something that, something that had to do with stretching and spiritual. That's about a, that's the extent of what I knew about yoga. But at that point in my life, I was really loved like Buddhism. I grew up Jewish and, and that was a fine experience, but then I was searching, you know, for other things. And I was really into, I would read everything I could find by Dalai Lama. You could find that stuff. You could go to Barnes and Noble, you know, and get like Eastern philosophy and that kind of stuff. And that's what I would do. I would hang out like in Barnes and Noble and read. Mm -hmm. Unless I had enough money to buy the book, then I would buy it. And so, so I went to this yoga class. I remember being really nervous the night before and stretching. I couldn't even touch my toes, let alone, I mean, my knees, let alone my toes, and now I know, you know, yoga has zero to do with that anyways. And, uh, and, but I was nervous, you know, and I went to the class and it was a Kundalini yoga class. It wasn't at a yoga studio. There wasn't any yoga studios near us. It was in a guy's backyard and uh, across the street from the campus. And uh, this guy shows up and he teaches this class and it went on for uh, probably at least a couple hours. Wow. There's a woman playing guitar. There's some other kids like playing like percussion, like on African, you know, drums. And, uh, and it was, a and I don't remember how I felt so much after that one, but he was doing another class the same day in Nashville, which was a half hour down the road in the park in Nashville, Tennessee. And I went to that one too. So probably the first time I ever did yoga as an 18 year old was probably a good four hours of Kundalini yoga. Wow. So I really feel like I probably was picking up where I left off at some point, perhaps, you know, I don't know if people, you know, whether they believe in, you know, lifetimes upon lifetimes, but any, it doesn't really matter ultimately anyways. But that's certainly how it feels, at least, because then within a year, I was already teaching because he lived a long ways away. And he's like, well, you should teach the classes. You know, you just lead them. Just, you know, read this, what, how the exercises go and just lead it. Yeah. So I started doing that on the campus at Middle Tennessee State. And uh, people came like, right. You know, it just kind of worked for me right from the beginning. I never had any aspiration to be a teacher never was a plan never even thought about it. i was going to be i was going to be in record production and be in the music and um and, but it just took over my life in a very great yeah. way it really helped my it just like helped me so much that's why i was inspired to share it i was helping me so much and that's still the case it's still the case that's the reason why i'm inspired to share it because it's helping me so much yeah so that's a bit of who i am now fast forward you know over 20 years still doing it Wow. It's so um, incredible just to even hear how you kind of um, came into it because from our human design perspective and we're looking at your chart, it's it feels to us like, oh, of course, that makes sense. <laughs> um, being a 2-4, really? you know, you really are here to be this natural and have this genius kind of um, channel through you and pick things up really quickly. But you also have major teacher energy in your chart where it's almost this mentor apprenticeship energy um, where you take in something really deeply and 
you learn it and then you kind of tweak it or embody it so deeply that you can't help but teach it to everyone around you. It's called the channel of the wavelength. So it's this energetic frequency that you emit that naturally teaches other people, whether you're meaning to teach or not. So the fact that it just kind of, um, in human design, there's this phrase of like with the two, four answering the call and it just kind of falls into your lap and you answer this call (laughs) and things happen really quickly. Um, so it's just really cool to hear your story and to be able to look at your chart and kind of see it reflected back in our very human design lens. That's so awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's why I love it. That's my favorite part about astrology too. I'm into Vedic astrology. I really love, I spend a lot of my time just, you know, and so I, I can really much relate because I can see the same thing in my chart in a different way, you know, different languaging. So it makes sense, too. But my favorite thing, just kind of like you're doing, you're looking at actually reality, then seeing it reflected back in a human design chart. That's my favorite way of using astrology is to look actually at the reality and see the language of it reflected back in the chart, as opposed to looking at the chart and then trying to put it on reality in the form of yeah. predictions or things like that. I I, for me, I really love, you know, that, that direction. Let's look at life and then let's see it reflected back. And it teaches you that way. Then mm. you can look at other charts and right, you yeah. see the same thing and like, oh, you've got wisdom to, wisdom to maybe like help interpret this with. Yeah. Do you, do you resonate? With Absolutely. That? We're so big with human design. Like we see so clearly that human design or any modality that is like that is really here to kind of liberate you and give you permission to feel what you've already been feeling, to experience what you've already been experiencing versus it being something that's boxing you in and not allowing you to really experience the energetics of whatever it is on your own. So we love using human design in that way. It's like, okay, what is the lived experience? What is the, the feeling that you're getting? And then how can we look at human design as this mirror to just allow you the permission to really understand yourself and give yourself um, the the free reign to really feel what you're feeling and to understand it in a new way. So I love that. And I was thinking the same thing when you were talking and you said you learned it and started teaching within like a year. That is such major, amazing 2-4 energy. As a (laughs) 2-4, you're you're this natural genius. So when you pick up on certain things, like you don't know why it's so easy for you. And I do believe that there's like this energy of a life calling and past lives where you have this information and this wisdom that's just within waiting to be released, waiting to be called out. And um, once a two, four gets that correct call, it's like the wind is beneath their wings, carrying them. They're not even, they don't even know why they're doing it. They just are. And um, people are really receiving it. So I love that story so much. And I'm wondering for all of our listeners, if you can kind of fill us in for people who are maybe not aware of what kundalini yoga is um kind of what the basics are what it is and where it comes from all of that yeah well great question i feel like i've I've never i've never been fantastic at answering it but i'll always (laughs) do my best because it's one of those things you just kind of got to try yeah somebody i was just got back from maui where i was teaching for a week and somebody asked me who they didn't come to the events they heard about them and then I ran into them somewhere and they were asking me like what is this well you know you just got to do it once or twice to really know what it is I say do it once you kind of like okay that's what this is and then the second (laughs) time you get it a little more because it's a little different than I think what a lot of if they've just like seen yoga from the periphery normally they're not seeing what what kundalini yoga is now i always like to point out that what it actually is is so much bigger than any of the exercises you do in in fact the exercises are not in and of themselves the yoga they are they are tools to serve what we could really think of as the real yoga and the real yoga is you becoming you the real you becoming the real you and that takes inner work and the exercises can give you help you build your magnetism and and give you clarity of mind and help your intuition and give your body vitality so that you can do a good job of of doing the inner work but still you have to ultimately do it meaning i for myself have to do the hard inner work and blissful inner work it's not just hard it's blissful and it's hard but it's the work of, for instance, emotional maturity, you know, developing emotional maturation. It's a householder's yoga, meaning some, you know, 
historically many forms of yoga are more for you know renunciates those who are going to renounce their families renounce their you know that type of thing or, or live in a monastery or that or or go to a cave and this is not that style of yoga is very much a householder's yoga meaning this is for people who live in the world they have jobs they have relationships they might have kids yeah everything and this is a simple practice that is quite flexible. It can work for all different ages, types of bodies, types of people uh, that you can do for a relatively short amount of time that then serves all the other uh, domains of our life. But when I talk about the real yoga, what I mean is also is that then, see, your relationship is not the distraction to the process. The job is not a distraction. The idea is actually you turn all those things into yoga, meaning that your relationship is now become a, a vehicle that is helping you to experience deeper parts of yourself. Your work is doing that too. But why a yoga practice is handy and like in Kundalini yoga, um, it, it can be whatever. It could be 15 minutes a day or less, or it could be much more extensive depending on the person and how, you know, for some people it's a little bit of a tool that supplements lots of other things they do in their life. For someone like me, it's kind of like a, my main practice and I teach it, you know, and then there's everything in between. So there's no like one way to do it. And I think a lot of people do get like, there's one way because they see Kundalini yoga people, especially in the past, it's changing a lot. But in the past, everybody's wearing white and a lot of people have their head covers. None of that's necessary. These are, these are things that, that, you know, complicated history, but when traditions come over from the far East and then they cut, they mix with modern, for instance, Western culture, you get all sorts of things going on. So, but I like to just point out and make sure that it can be a simple practice that anyone can do, and it doesn't require all of that. And and it, in some ways, it looks more like martial arts in the way that it uses energy than some some forms of like hot, what we say hatha yoga that you might see. Um, like at your local yoga studio. You might also see Kundalini yoga at your yoga studio because it's all over the world. It's, it's become very, very popular. Yeah, I have only done Kundalini yoga one time because mm -hmm. Dana um, made me. <laughs> and <laughs> we were having a writing retreat, just her and I. Cool. And um, she made me wake up with her and do it in the morning. <laughs> and I nearly died. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's because Dana was just so already used to it. And I think we were, so. I was just going at her pace for my first time. Um, but it's at least in that one time I experienced it, it does feel like it's cleaning out your energetic body through breath and through um, that presence. And and that physical side of it to me is what really struck me. Um, you know, in our human design world, we're always talking about your energetic body. And um, I'm somebody who I've struggled to tap in with my physical form and like feel connected and grounded physically. It's something that I work on in my own practice, but Kundalini, at least in my one short experience, it felt like an instant grounding and tapping in and, and clearing out of stuck energy. So with Kundalini, I guess, where is it kind of originating from? And in your own practice, how did that kind of have you tweaked and changed it at all? Or have you been really um, into the core principles of it from where it originated from? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Great question. Well, it originated in India. And, and you know, the history of these things are, are really a bit mysterious. You know, it's a shrouded in mystery because... You know, some people say it goes back 5,000 years. Some people say way less. Some people say more. So nobody really knows for sure. Uh, but it's very old, ancient, the yogic practices. And then, and then there's so many out of, out of, you know, thousands of years, so many different, you know, traditions of yoga that emerge and so forth. Kundalini yoga is a big word, a big concept, you know, so it doesn't just like what you see, like uh, 
Oops, my uh, screen. What you see in modern, uh, like Western world with Kundalini, when we think of Kundalini yoga, that doesn't represent the entire concept of what Kundalini yoga means, for instance, in India. And mm. so, but this style of Kundalini yoga is, is also, it comes from India and it's, it's nothing that it's flexible enough that I don't ever feel like I need to change anything about it actually, because there's so much room in there to choose how you want to practice. What I do change, you know, some things is, is more of like disposition around it and the culture around it and this type of thing, but the practice itself, not, not so much at all, uh, because I, I find it's fantastic as it is. And but the style in which you practice, what you choose to practice within Kundalini Yoga, there's a large range. So you, it sounds like, you know, Dana had you doing had you working a little bit. <laughs> I was a, in I was in the 40 day challenge, by the way. And oh, I was, it was a like, life force Academy. Yes, and I was like, oh, we're together. So you're I had doing you this. Yeah, and I think we had that one. We were doing like the monkey fist thing. It was like super intense. And she, I just looked over at Shane, and she was like melting the onto the floor. And I was. I, one thing that I love about it is I, as I mentioned, I do it with my husband and he's an athlete, professional athlete, mm -hmm. super cool. strong and I'm not. And, mm -hmm. but I like access this incredible power inside my body where I can hold postures forever. And I just feel like such a badass, like warrior of love. And I'm like so strong. And, he, and it's really one of the things in my life where I feel the most strong, like my highest self. And after I come out of it, I mean, it's just been like the most powerful tool that I found in a really long time. Did you it's feel incredible. that way? The f did you feel that way the first time you practiced no. it? No. The first yeah. time I practiced it, I <laughs> thought I was going to faint because I was like, I need to just sit and like start breathing. But now I feel, I feel like it's one of, that's one of the main takeaways I get is like how strong I am really in spirit and internally mm -hmm. and the physical thing that's associated with that. It just feels like such a supportive force in my life. So, but yeah, when, sh when Shayna was doing it, we were, what is this called? Is it, is each movement a Kriya or is a Kriya like an entire sequence? Uh, it could be either or. Okay. Yeah. So we were doing like this. Yeah. yeah it's called fists of anger. It's a little oh, technique. Yeah. It's just not very long. It's just three minutes. Mm -hmm. Oh, just um, three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, relative to the ones that are like 11 or 22 or 31 minutes. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> But, but uh, so yeah, that's a, just a simple technique uh, to help to get what I, what I kind of sometimes say is to move stuck fire, mm -hmm. fire energy. Otherwise, uh, fire energy, and this all the Oriental traditions know this, indigenous traditions throughout the world, they all understand uh, the body, the mind in terms of elements. And so fire is the warmth of your body. Fire is your ability to see light. Vision is ruled by fire. Your liver is governed by fire. And so anger is governed by fire. And so if there's kind of like, you know, stuck anger, which you could mean, mean that, that can also come out like, you know, just it drips out as like passive aggressiveness, for mm -hmm. instance, yeah. this type of thing. Or it can be like a shook up soda bottle and then explode like a burst of real flaming anger. And so something like fists of anger is a helpful little technique. It's not the only one, but it's a helpful technique to meta help metabolize fire and, and in a healthy way. And in that one, you're even thinking of things that you see, it's a little different than what you might think of with yoga because you're actually thinking of things that make you angry. Yeah. And I think of that as, and that's a specific Kriya. This is not what you do in every Kundalini yoga practice. Mm -hmm. it's a specific, Kundalini yoga works in the concept of what Dana was calling as Kriya. The word comes from, the root word means action. The same root as the word karma. Karma, the root means action. So both those words really mean action, but they're different contexts. Kriya is an action towards a desired result or a specific result. So in this case, the action you're taking is to kind of make your heat energy more bio stuck heat more bioavailable so then you can transform it into its more desirable expression because every element has both a non-desirable and desirable expression i'm sure you would see that in human design mm -hmm. yeah is that there's the lower expression of it like fire can be raging anger and fire can also be radiance and epiphany and wisdom and warmth of the heart and loving compassion when water and fire together so 
so which which one is, so which is more happy which is more blissful is it is it warmth of the heart and radiance or is it anger and passive aggressive and jealousy jealousy the hot emotions you can do this with all the elements and that's how kundalini yoga works is all the yogic systems work with the five elements earth water fire air and then ether which is space the medium through which our life which everything travels like right now you're hearing the sound of my voice sound is the is the sense sensory uh, function that is connected to ether element so mm -hmm. somehow s sound is traveling through the time and space from mm -hmm. you know right now where we're, we're doing this i'm in northern california you're both in different parts of southern california and essentially in real time we're, we're talking to each other and mm -hmm. it's going through the ethernet so to speak and then everybody's going to be listening to this on a podcast and so that's going to travel to them where are these where are these cables that are connecting us all mm -hmm. together it's ether it's the medium through which life travels and the and the oriental the yogic sciences knew all about this mm. and and so much so that that's why you get hear great stories of of great masters who can are totally able to kind of transcend the limitations of time and space and they call them quote-unquote miracles but to yogis there's no really such thing as a unnatural miracle it's just understanding the law, the, the uh, not understanding, but not being less limited by the five elements. So here's kind of a key point is that the most, more desirable expression of the five elements of, for instance, let's stick with fire. Fire, do we want like epiphany and, uh, and glow of the eyes or redness of the eyes, luster, beauty of the skin or like redness and acne of the skin. Like both are fire. And so, we, so it's the more subtle expression of the elements that are the more desirable, like, uh, desirable expression of the elements. Whereas it's the more dense expression, like anger is more dense. Yeah. You know, dense, do you, dense is an, as an opposite of subtle. Yeah. Right? And, and so what yoga practice is doing, and kind of how you pointed out, uh, Shana, is it's, it's purifying this density of the psyche so that our more subtle nature becomes a, available to our experience. And when our more subtle nature is more available to experience, we have less fear of the things that are, are scary to us. And the big one, of course, being dying. Mm -hmm. and, and because it's the subtle parts of us that don't ever change. And so you can't, you can't take anger and get rid of it, but you can transform it because you can't, you, that's the basic thermodynamics. Energy can't be created and it can't be destroyed. It can only transform. And the same is true with us. Everybody has their perfect human design chart. It's perfect. Nobody, yeah. I always say everybody has the perfect horoscope. It's created by the tre tremendous intelligence, love intelligence of nature herself. And so, so we just, our, our lives are about finding the higher expression of each of our unique nature. And something like human design can give you tremendous insight into that. And something like Kundalini Yoga can activate it. Yes, you know? there's yes. so much in what you said that I want to highlight because the big thing for us in human design is we are really in this pivotal time in our evolution as a collective and our consciousness evolution. And the main focus that we really want people to focus on is understanding how to process their emotions, um, developing that emotional maturity. It's like one of the main things that can really help us uh, move into this realm of spiritual awareness and unity and really being empowered as an individual, but also being connected to the collective and to oneness. And human design, really teaches that if you can learn how to really embrace your emotions and really experience them without fear, um, if we can learn how to embrace death, like death that's happening all the time in cycles of growth in our life. Right. In general, people are just so afraid of things ending. They're afraid of letting go. They're afraid of processing our Change. emotions. Yeah. Right. So all of these are like core themes that if we can really cultivate, develop that muscle of how to navigate these things, we really can be empowered to build a better future. So I love that this is something, a tool that people can use that is so powerful in those realms. Yeah, and that's what I mean by the real yoga, by yeah. the way, is is that, is is because 
this is an example of, of, of a system that gives language to the more subtle nuances of our being. And when you have language, then you can really work, you can, you can really develop it and, and you can identify it more clearly to understand, ah, oh, that's what that is about myself. And like you were saying, it empowers you and, and it gives you a sense. So then if you have a target a little bit, not too rigid of a target to where we're putting ourselves in a box and we're not leaving room for infinite possibilities. That's why I always think this, keep it mysterious. Don't mm. need to convince. The, the, I think the, the thing that probably made me, the, the, I think one of, especially in maybe the first five to 10 years of practicing yoga, maybe what made me in retrospect more miserable than anything else is me being over convinced of things. Because when you do this type of stuff, you can become over convinced in things. You can be impressed, a bit overly impressed because it's powerful stuff. You like all of a sudden you felt lousy and, and insecure and now you're feeling confident and aware. And you might sometimes even think you start knowing a little bit more than other people. And you, that's why you get that thing of people talking about those who are awake and not awake. And I kind of push back against all that. I think it's a trap. Yeah. Uh, because you don't know what other people are like and and so and and furthermore it's not a very happy place to be uh yeah. it, to just live and 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 love each other and regardless of that type of thing you know of course there's some relative truth to that to those who are living more consciously and those are who aren't but the one way of saying that is those who are, who are living more productively and those who are living more destructively and, mm. and but we all are doing some of that and you know what i mean and yeah. we're all works in progress so to be more or you could say those living more creatively versus destructively instead of productively that's more my capricorn ascendant mm -hmm. coming out <laughs> So, because some like, I wonder if this is the case in human design too, because I always think of the most important uh, thing astrology always teaches me is about my own biases. Because I'm like this, you know, I'm a Capricorn ascendant with my Saturn conjunct Jupiter in my ninth house in Virgo. It's like, yeah, of course you're going to think of things that way. So, so that's good. That can be a strength. You like know thyself, you know? Yeah. But also it can, it can be a limitation if I, if I think that it's the only way to look at things. This is the way my architecture is designed to kind of perceive things. But then if I appreciate it for what it is, but now I'm interested in understanding your architecture too at some yeah. level. Even if it's not intellectually, I just want to experience you. What do you think? How do you experience this? And then yeah. it's like an openness and receptivity to each other. And that can go across divides that, that otherwise might exist, political persuasions, religious persuasions, all these types of things. This is what we need if we're going to survive on this planet as a species, because things are hyper-polarized in yeah. times of change. Absolutely. And we say it all the time um, with human design, you know, every aspect of your human design chart, right? It's giving this languaging of an energetic frequency that you have, but there's a low expression, a high expression, an inward expression, and an outward expression, how you're working with it internally and how you're externalizing it and supporting people, creating things, um, giving that gift out into the world. And so this concept of creativity versus destruction um, and know thyself and really you know, are you using this in the highest expression, which is um, using it to give that creative energy out or the lowest expression of putting yourself in a box and having judgment and comparison of saying, if you don't see the world in this way, or if you don't, you know, do this practice every single day, or if you don't structure your business in this way, then you're doing it wrong. Um, or maybe I'm doing it wrong because I'm not doing it the same as you. All of that judgment comparison with any subtle energetic gift that you have. I mean, a great example in human design is this gate of doubts and uh, being skeptical or um, having a healthy sense of skepticism <coughs> to question things. Is this really working? Is it really true? Is this something that I should be doing or not? Um, there's that highest expression that is creative and supportive for people and supportive for yourself. 
but there is that lowest expression that's really uh, tends to creep in. So I love just this idea of, um, you know, the more that you have self-love and understanding Mm -hmm. and um, acceptance, the more that you can then have self-love and understanding and acceptance of other people and give them the grace and the space to take up space exactly as they are right now without having to be any type of thing that you've maybe labeled yourself as. So it's really interesting with this human design calls it this new paradigm that we're going into Mm -hmm. is all about um, those kind of, you can't sit with me energy crumbling. Like my religion's better than your religion and my government's better than yours and my sports team or my beliefs or my whatever morals are better than yours. And all of that's crumbling, but there's also this great rising of consciousness, individual gifts, uniqueness, supporting people to be their highest expression, (laughs) all of that coming in as well. So we have this very human design lens, but I know you spoke on having, you know, being really interested in Vedic astrology and human design is really rooted in Western astrology. And I'm curious if you have any type of insight or, um, uh, anything to to share in regards to Vedic astrology and Western astrology, and if they come together at all, anything mm, like that? Sure. Yeah, I mean they totally can. They do come together. I mean they both they're both tuning into you know the same thing from a different angle is how I think about it. A friend of mine recently said, yeah, it's kind of like turning the prism. And you're looking at it, you know, and of course, Vedic astrology focuses on maybe I think slightly different aspects. I, I think sometimes a little bit more deep into the karmic, you know, and dharmic aspects of a human being. And this is just my my sense and feeling, you know, it's it's nothing I have too strong of opinion on. Yeah. Whereas Western astrology is probably tuning in more towards like the the you know general psychology of the person and, and they both tune into all that but maybe the emphasis is emphasis are a little different i always find they get to the same things just through kind of different ways somehow or another because there is a difference of like 23 and a half degrees so and there's only 30 degrees in a constellation so if your sun is at 15 degrees leo in vedic astrology well, it's going to be it's going to be in Virgo in Western astrology. So it's a total. I mean, if you know the difference between Leo and Virgo, that's totally different. Yeah. And and so and that's the sun. And yet, they it just works. And and they get to the and I think that trips up a lot of people because they feel like well one or the other has to work. No, they both work. I I just like human design works. They're all different tools to like get yeah. to insights for ourselves. I'm much more if I was going to not 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 in terms of studying it, but if I was going to get a reading from someone, and I don't even give readings, so I'm not advertising for myself at all. But if I, I if I myself am going to get a reading, I would I would be much more interested in who is the astrologer more than what system they're using, because I want someone who's very has a great sense of their intuition and a and a huge heart of compassion. And is it going to tell me things I don't want to hear or put things in my mind that might not be useful? Because all this stuff can do that. You'll get Vedic astrologers or any astrologers will tell you, you know, you have a curse or this type of thing. And if you don't have good context for what that actually means, then it can be be let it can be almost more harmful than it is helpful. And and, you know, because this is stuff where we're talking about our inner world here in our mind and our emotions and then often you know the thing that people mostly go to astrologers for is relationships and marriage and this type of stuff these are big things in our lives so it's always important that our intuition reigns supreme and that we take all this stuff as just i always say grain of salt but then you get and it all helps to kind of give i find like like some support to my intuition and and i know that's how you feel about what you're doing as well, as opposed to telling you what to do or something like that. So Vedic astrology, I love it. It's emphasis is is a bit different in because mostly, for instance, if we look at your chart, we'll start with what's on the ascendant. So what is, in other words, and it's the sidereal zodiac versus the tropical zodiac. That's the difference between Vedic and Western astrology. And then some, of course, some rules of interpretation and all that type of thing. 
but so whatever, but the sidereal, so like, do you have that, like one of those apps on your phone where you can turn up to the sky and see exactly what constellation is up? Yes. That's the sidereal zodiac. So you're looking at the same zodiac we'd look at with Vedic astrology. So you look up in the sky right now, if you could find Jupiter wherever you are at the time we're, we're recording this, it's going to be in Pisces and it's going to be there with Venus because mm-hmm. that's what's at, what's in the sky right now from our perspective here on earth. And and so whatever constellation was at the point of the eastern horizon, the point of the sunrise, where the sun rises at the moment you were born, took your first breath, that's your what's called your ascendant, or what they call in Vedic astrology, your lagna, your auspicious moment. And and so so for me, that's Capricorn. And the, then where you look is like, where is the Lord of your ascendant? So you, whereas in Normally we think astrology, everybody's looking at sun sign. Sun sign's crucial in Vedic astrology too, but it's not the starting point. So that's what I mean by you can get to it from different ways. So Capricorn ascendant, Saturn's in the ninth in Virgo, you know, and so you get get into it that way. Then you look where the moon is and then the sun. And so, and then you go from there and everything, but everything is kind of in the tone of the ascendant. That's kind of the starting point. And then you go from there. And so, so, so a lot of the differences are in just kind of what is emphasized in addition to there's a, a 23 and a half degree or so difference in the actual zodiac okay. itself. So yeah. hopefully that's not too complicated for folks. Yeah, thank you. That was really interesting. And Shane and I uh, both recently got a Vedic astrology reading from cool. this amazing guy in India. And he is so full of compassion and love. And I 1000% oh, agree that honestly, that is the most important thing, period, right? And we all should be developing that every day and honing that and arousing that within ourselves. And I think that that's so foundational, but not very many people are actually sharing that message. It blows my mind. Like Mm -hmm. I witness in my own life and in my friends and just people around me, I'm observing, what is the core intention behind these powerful tools that we're using? Is it, you know, to improve yourself only, or is it to improve yourself so that you can show up as a beacon of love as a heart of compassion in this world. So I really appreciate that message that you shared. And, you know, speaking of astrology, I wanted to ask you with right now, as we're recording, we're in between these two eclipses. And Mm -hmm. what would you want to share with people about eclipse energy, eclipse season, how we can work with this energy to really utilize it in the highest expression? Cool. Well, do some yoga and meditation. I mean, you know, Eclipses are transformational energies, and they're totally natural. They happen every year, a couple times a year. They usually come in pairs. Sometimes you get a third one. So you, it's like in this case, first you had a solar eclipse, which happens on the full moon, excuse me, on the new moon. And then, then two weeks later, we're, we're going to have a lunar eclipse, which happens on the full moon. And so, so an eclipse is a kind of a trigger for transformation and it's going to be transformation you know generally speaking it could be but also specifically for the diff- for different domains or areas of our life so so if you know your, your astrology chart a little bit and you know where the eclipse is happening then it, for instance if the the eclipse is happening in your fourth house then one that means this like solar eclipse is happening in your fourth house then the lunar would be in your 10th house because those are in 180 degrees opposite to each other in the sky. Then that would be that the domain of your home, your mother. Um, and it's called in Vedic astrology, fourth house is Sukhabhava, which is the house of happiness. And your and our relationship with mother, both you know literally and figuratively, is considered the foundation for happiness in life. And so... And then the 10th is career and your activity in the world, not career. If it's just like a job you don't like, but the work in the world, that is an expression of your dharma. That doesn't mean it's something you necessarily get paid for. Um, because not every, some people do have a job that's not really their, you know, their bigger inspiration of their life. And that's totally fine. It doesn't, our jobs don't need to be that, uh, all the time. Uh, for some people, but that, but yes, you're, you're the, the activity of purpose in your life and how, and the vehicles that, you know, for me, it would be the teaching and this type of thing, but, 
so so if the eclipses were happening in those two areas of the sky for you then that those would be the areas that you could expect some level of transformation not just in this eclipse but over the next because the eclipse axis is in that those positions for about a year and a half so every eclipse that happens in that year and a half time period is going to be kind of trigger points that are activating transformational processes and maybe you'll go through relationship change you know that's happened to me before where that triggers that and it's two years later everything has changed and it's not just an eclipse and i don't think of it as like there's eclipses in the sky and that's what's making that happen or planets in the sky that's what's making all this happen i look at that all of that astrology is one way of decoding the language of nature just like human design is another way of decoding the language of nature and getting and reflecting it back to us in a way that we can understand it in functional practical and inspiring in fun ways i love that that's so cool and i think with the eclipse season it's become very pop culture to be like oh my gosh it's eclipse like everything's gonna be horrible your whole life is gonna or mercury retrograde (laughs) right yeah Yeah, i mean it really and um i think using these energies to to really understand that they're a part of nature and that it's a gift to be able to have the awareness and that awareness is really the goal in the end like having that understanding and there's a lot of things that are not good to do on an eclipse too, mm-hmm. you know, like they like starting a new business, starting a new relationship. You know, if one starts, see, you know, see what happens. But but th- this is generally generally energy is unsettled, and so even like even I remember a couple of years ago, a few years before the pandemic, I was at um, I was at a Grateful Dead show. Or, you know the living the current version of the grateful dead and uh we were it was in mexico and there was like a full lunar eclipse at night and it seems like a great idea right and i'm sure it was for a lot of people but it was not one of my favorite times going to a show because mm. there was just things that got stirred up and and it just for me personally in in this type of thing and you never know how it's going to come you know it might be just be something inward but often it's like outer things that trigger inward experiences like you know your partner gets upset with you or the other night i got back from uh, maui to san francisco the night mercury was going retrograde my car was uh battery was dead it was like could that happen is that mercury retrograde who really knows but there's if you pay attention to these things enough you're not really doubting this. You, if you, it, nobody is actually. I've never. I can't say nobody. I've never met anyone who has substantively paid attention to astrology for any significant period of time and then decided it didn't. It wasn't real. <laughs> I've never yeah. met that person. You know. So yeah. so you spend enough time. You're open to it and spend enough time paying attention to it and studying it more substant. I've met tons of people who have just read their horoscopes in the newspaper, like. You know, my, in my family, yeah. even I was like, yeah, that's bullshit. But <laughs> I've never met anyone who's like substantively studied it, spent time with it, and then decided it's like, yeah, no, that's a load of, you know, yeah. or whatever. No, that's no, how sure I feel about exist. human design, too. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, sure. yeah, we've never yeah. met anyone who's like, no, this isn't, this doesn't feel like me or this isn't helpful to me. But right. I think that it's coming from, you know, with any modality, once you start heightening your awareness of yourself and paying attention to what your body's actually feeling and what you're experiencing energetically and what's going on around you and your environment and with the cosmos or anything that's around you, when you have that heightened level of awareness and you're being this observer of your life, I think that there's so much truth and um, just connection to source and self that it it's helpful no matter what like even if it's kundalini or vedic astrology or western astrology or human design or whatever that you've been called towards once you kind of step into that practice of daily awareness and observation um something's going to come of it and it's going to be it's going to be helpful and possibly profound um human design just for us is like our favorite our favorite most mind-blowing thing um but I mean, I really resonated with your initial story of 
who am I and where am I going and what's the purpose of all this and what is death and what is life and all of that. I mean, very much, I remember being like six and feeling, asking my mom, like, why am I behind my eyes? Like, why am, like, why am I the only one that can look out of my eyes? Like, what, what is my face? Like, what am I looking out of? And I remember having that kind of feeling of, of, being this spiritual being in a physical experience. And it's, I think that a lot of us go through those questions of who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Human design is something that just blew my mind. Um, but also, I've had that same mind blowing experience with that Vedic astrology reading that I just did with certain aspects of Western astrology with, um, with even doing physical movements. So something that's kind of in my um, practice right now is feeling when something is energetically tight in my body, like when I'm triggered um, by whatever, but I feel this tightness or this low expression and choosing to have awareness of it and kind of massage it out of my energetic body and not avoid it, but really like feel it, move through it, massage it out, choose to like come through to the highest expression if I can with just my awareness. And I'm curious what your take on is that right now in your current experience with choosing specific kundalini exercises that you do in your own practice or what your kind of um, practices with navigating a low triggering expression that you might be having currently yeah. yeah that's great well yeah i'm always kind of choosing which practices i'm going to be doing based on how i feel but that's you know with me knowing it really well over long periods of time um that i that i do that at first there's not as much of that luxury you know because it's just you, you know what you know but that's why in life force academy we we try to provide pretty helpful guidance on all of that kind of stuff uh so so for instance you know i've been really into this practice lately it's a very famous practice of kundalini yoga called kirtan kriya it's very simple to do is you know you can this is the one that i know of uh practice of kundalini yoga that we actually have you know uh university level double blind uh research on that is is pretty outstanding and, and the research was done specifically on uh on uh, patients with dementia uh, or or deterioration of the nervous system and alzheimer's and this type of thing and showed an amazing results in both preventative and helping uh helping even to uh to help reverse some Maybe not completely, but anybody can read the study. UCLA, you can just type in UCLA Kirtan Kriya. That's K-I-R-T-A-N-K-R-I-Y-A, two words, Kirtan Kriya. And it's just a simple thing. And we, but we have this amazing new music for, for it that got was created on the winter solstice day uh, last year. We do these uh, multi-day immersions and and we have live music in it and the, it's pretty incredible stuff Gr just world-class musicians and a great vibe so we did this you know together on the winter solstice day and now we have the recording of it that we've released in the life force academy and have videos that anyone can do for different lengths of time and it's just you're using your fingers index fingers to your thumb middle finger touches your thumb ring finger touches your thumb pinky finger touches your thumb your hands aren't up in the air they're just you're sitting either on a chair or cross-legged on the ground and when you do it you touch each finger you go so index middle ring pinky index is jupiter middle is saturn ring is sun pinky is mercury thumb is more like the sense of what the sanskrit term is ahankara which normally gets translated as ego, but it's really your sense of what you are. This existential questions you're having, what is it that I'm looking out through my eyes? And so, so of course, though, the five fingers, they, they, they correspond with the five elements. And it's just harmonizing five elements, getting more of their subtle, desirable expressions and less, because there's only so much you can do with that just through intellectualizing or even therapy, which is fantastic. At a certain point, if you can work with the at the actual 
energetics of your architecture and you can work to then it makes it'll help all the therapy it'll help all the other things we're doing because it's going to give you so much more access to your life force and thus your willpower and your willpower is what gives you the ability to to actually make decisions because we might know plenty of like good ways i don't want to be passive aggressive but i keep being it so (laughs) that's based on my inner vitality and my will and that my inner power needs to be greater than the power of that old destructive habit that is causing me and others suffering such as passive aggressiveness for instance i'm not saying that yeah. It's going to be easy. It's just baby steps, just little baby steps, a little yeah. more. So that, that little practice I've been doing a lot and you mm. can do it for just, you know, it takes, you can do it for like 10, 15 minutes or you can be much longer, like an hour. And so in Life Force Academy, we have all the different versions of length of times of that, but to the incredible, with incredible like guided music with the chanting and how to do it and everything. And anybody can do that. You can be, you can be, you know, you can teach that to folks who are in their elderly years or folks who are, you know, little kids. Yeah. And that's yeah. Kundalini yoga. It doesn't have to be difficult. If you just sat down and just did that one meditation, you're doing Kundalini yoga. Wow. So it's not necessarily difficult. That's going to be difficult in a different way because it's going to test your ability to do it and concentrate. And it's going to stir up the subconscious as soon as you get going with it. And their emotions start. You'll see what I mean. That's what meditation. People think meditation is you just sit down and be peaceful. No, you sit down, you go through a storm, then you're peaceful. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm like, I can't wait to just even practice that. Where because yeah. when I hear the word yoga, even I think, okay, we're working out. Um, right. And just being able to sit and, you know, for our listeners, you can't see, but just touching your fingers um, yeah. together with that awareness and, and that chant. Um, I mean, the power of chanting is, is I'm curious your take on it, but I, I think it, yeah. I don't know. I'm not a professional. I think, well, I think it's the mo- I, I consider it in all the tools of yoga practice, it's the most important. Mm. and and most of most probably effective because all of yoga is really is dealing with the mind because the body is the really a substratum of the mind that's why you know our worldview can change dramatically if we for instance have a little bit of low blood sugar how we view our world can dramatically shift from you know before lunch to then you ate and then after lunch, you know, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, everything's a little bit more rational. So your blood is part of your mind. Your muscles are part of your mind. They're the substratum, the inner terrain of the mind. And, and so this is the wisdom of yoga and Ayurveda. And so, so with, uh, with doing um, uh, mantra practice, now you're, it's more subtle. Of course, like if you're doing like a physical exercise, important, that's an important part of our mind, but it's more earth energy. If And it's water, you're circulating the fluids, etc. Water is emotion, but also the watery parts of your body. Fire is the, your digestion, your metabolism, but also your vision, your sight. Air is tactile. Air is more subtle, tactile perception. You take an inhale and push the exhale out. Air element, more subtle than physical movement but still less subtle than sound and so excuse me more more dense than sound sound is more subtle and so when you're chanting you're dealing again with the more most subtle element ether and and so in this for you're able to work with the mind now normally what we're doing is first exercises you know working with the breath working with the body getting our life force moving Oh, now you're feeling good. Now you're actually able. Oh, you feel the difference when you touch your index finger to your thumb and then the middle. You can feel the difference. That, But that's when your chi is moving. Like if you come right out of an acupuncture appointment, you feel fantastic because they're working at the same level with the chi, the prana, as you say in yoga, chi or ki in Asia. And so, and so when you're dealing with mantra, though, and you're now you're because vi- what is your thoughts? Your thoughts in a certain way are sounds. They're part of the sound. They're part of the sound element. 
the ether element. And you don't even pick up on most stuff. And they say there's a thousand thoughts every moment in time. You might pick up on one. The rest are going into the subconscious. If that one thought gets enough energy momentum, it'll become a feeling. Or then it goes into the subconscious. But if that feeling now that I have, that has even more energy, it's becoming an emotion. And it's excitement. Now it's your glands are behind it. If you're really excited, maybe you're aroused. The muscles are behind it. The blood is flowing, etc., etc. And so then emotion turns into desire and that turns into action. And so that thought, feeling, emotion, desire is the cycle of the psyche that we're all dealing with all the time. So when you're using mantra, you're kind of in a certain way disrupting this kind of perpetuation of old habits. And you just, and thoughts are going to come. That's why I said first you're going to go through, first you might like it. Then eventually you do it long enough, it's going to start to stir things up or you'll get bored or all of the things that will happen. But you just keep going and you just keep chanting until the, that's why you set the timer or you're using Life Force Academy and you just push play and it'll guide you. And you go through the whole thing ideally. But that's why we set them, do the 15 minute version, do the 10 minute version, do the 30 minute version. But do whatever version you're actually going to do so you can go through the whole process of it. And do your best. It's like you don't have to be perfect. You need to lay down, lay down, but then get up if you can and keep going. And sa and you're doing that, you'll see what happens. And you'll see what I mean by purifying the psyche, because by the end of it, you're sitting there in a state of great peacefulness and great and even blissfulness. But it's not a blissfulness that is uh that is that is in exclusion of your more challenging and difficult emotions. So for instance, I can feel blissful and sad. Maybe I've gone through a breakup and maybe, maybe I am feeling, maybe I'm in a state of grief. Well, that blissfulness will help you metabolize that grief, not push it away. It'll allow you to feel it more deeply without it overwhelming you. Mm. And then you can feel also the medicine inside it, not only the pain. Yeah. And that's a bitter medicine, but it's a medicine nevertheless. That's the glory of Kundalini Yoga. That's what I think is what I mean by the real yoga. Yeah. It's not because people all the time get stuck on, let me just do that. Just by doing the Kriya, by doing the meditation, that's yoga. It is, but it works so much more if you're using them as tools to allow the, the blossoming of your life to happen and happen in a way that you can really feel and you can really experience and you can say with conviction that I'm happier today than I was a year ago. I'm more of me today than I was even a few months ago. I'm more bliss. I'm more compassionate. I'm, I'm, I'm deeper in love. My love affair is deepened. And, and that's a love affair that doesn't have boundaries. You know, it's, it's, it's love of life. It's love of, it's experiencing. What is this behind my eyes looking mm. out, you know, and, yeah. and falling in love like that. Yeah. And then no matter what happens, you're still going to, even the painful, difficult things that we wish won't happen, sometimes they happen. But that pain will make you be more in love when you're working on that way, you see. And then also when you're having amazing times and maybe you have a new baby or you get into a new relationship and, you, and that will make you more in love. And so on both sides of it, you're loving. And, you, and uh, but that's hard. You know, of course, it's hard work because there's so many things in our psyches that are in opposition to that process that are older habits. And so that's yeah. why I just say baby steps. It doesn't have to happen quickly. You can't rush this stuff. You know, make yeah. it more like an art in a courtship and less like a self-improvement. Yes. There's nothing to improve. And mm. as you're speaking about that love and falling in love with life, like I really, really resonate with that. And I have to tell you that in human design, your whole life purpose is called the vessel of love. Like you are That's literally- That's what mine is? Yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm so people who- jackpot. Yeah, so people who are a vessel of love, people are really special. Like literally you're here to be a teacher of love in all of these different ways, but wow. it's not always easy for the people who have this. It's not like they just come out having all of love in their life. It's a journey no, and no, something- difficult. Yeah, something that they cultivate. Is. Right. And that's what makes you such an incredible teacher of these things is that you felt these entire full spectrums and worked through it yourself and done the work. And because of that, you really become this 
vessel of love that is teaching people in all these different ways. And there's all different types of love within this one incarnation cross is what we call it, your life mm -hmm. purpose, uh, the love of the self, the love of humanity, a spiritual love and a love for the physical form. And all of these are like the main things that you're here to work with um, and teach. And I just love hearing it reflected in every single thing that you say. So it's really fun for us to get to witness that. And in general, like my friends have learned so much from you. And my the reason that I got into Kundalini Yoga is because my sister had a pituitary gland tumor and she did one of your classes at Lightning in a Bottle and had this oh. huge like healing moment in her life and started shifting like everything that she started doing and really went on this whole healing journey and has only had to use like very minimal western medicine in order to be able to heal that pituitary oh, pro issue so yeah so i really yeah. want to say thank you for being here and yeah, for teaching it's... and for coming on today mm -hmm. and sharing everything that you sh shared with us and our listeners i think a lot of people are super excited to try out kundalini yoga and to see how it improves in their life so so I'd love if you could share with our listeners where people can find you and where they can connect yeah. with your offerings and all that good stuff. Yeah, Life Force Academy is our organization. And whether you want to do like we do all these, like every most every eclipse, we'll do a free global webcast on the eclipse, if not during the eclipse, quite near it. Uh, those are great. But you can also, our Life Force Academy membership is really reasonable. It's just a dollar to try it, then it's 25 bucks a month. And there's more in there that you could ever use. But it has all the tools. And then we do live stuff. We do you have what we call power practices. So if you want to do that Kirtan Kriya every day, or you want to do the meditation for deep restful sleep, or the energization series to wake up in the morning, or the Kriya to increase your intuition, or to open the heart of compassion, and all these different things. Those are power practices, all sorts of class series where you can really get a deep dive into this stuff, full yoga classes, everything. For about the price that you pay for one yoga class, it's just once per month you pay that 25. If you go into like any studio in say LA, for instance, you're gonna pay $25 for a yoga oh, class. Oh yeah. So anyways, it's a good deal, that's my point. But we also do lots of free stuff and a Life Force Academy, if you go to LFA, like Life Force Academy, LFA.yoga, that's the URL people can type into uh, your browser, lfa.yoga. That takes you to our website and you can check it all out. I travel all around. I'll be at Lightning in a Bottle in a couple of weeks again. And um, and yeah, so that's what's up. That's how to find us. Or Jaydave108 on Instagram. Jaydave108. Gosh, 108. I've been seeing everywhere like 15 <laughs> times a day. I swear for the last month and a half. Um, I can't, I can't not see it. Um, it's a big, it's woven into it. our business. And now <laughs> I'm hearing it once again. Um, I'm into that life number. So thank you so much for being so here welcome. and just sharing your vessel of love with all of our listeners. <laughs> um, nice. And yeah, it's just been such a blast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is so fun. And I have to, yeah, anytime love talking to you both you have such a nice balance to each other as well i can tell oh, really thanks yeah pleasure to connect with you both thanks and i just want to add to that it's so funny in human design dane and i literally our charts uh complete each other so yeah, it's like we're opposites but yeah. we're also locked yeah. in so yeah. thanks for that reflection Beautiful. <laughs> Wow, we absolutely loved that conversation and we hope that you did too. I know we are both feeling so inspired to start doing more Kundalini yoga and more meditation. So if you're feeling that call to make sure you check out our show notes, we'll put the link where you can um, take classes with Life Force Academy. And as always, you know where to find us on our Instagram at Dayluna. We'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. And if you have any experience with Kundalini yoga, um, you also know where to find our offerings at daylunalife.com. And thank you so much for tuning in with us for this amazing episode. Hope you're having a beautiful day.